Welcome to the Stripe Show podcast, another happy hour edition on this Friday, December 17th. This time next week, Santa will be ready to take flight. It will be almost Christmas. I cannot believe it is somehow December. Well, it makes sense that I can't believe it. It's like 80 degrees in Orlando. It's insane. Our guest this week needs no introduction. Not even going to go there because I know I would miss something and it would be doing her an injustice. You know her, you love her. Paige Spranick. Paige, thanks for joining me on the pod today. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. I'm so excited to have you here, but I want to take it. I want to start like taking it way back. I want to take it elementary level because we're friends, but the people listening to this podcast probably don't know you that well. Let's take it back. You played in college. Unlike some female golf influencers (laughs) to go there, you can actually hit the golf ball which might be one of my favorite things about you. Tell us about your start in golf and how you got to where you are today. Yeah. So I was actually a competitive gymnast for a very long time and I ended up fracturing my kneecap twice and had a bad birthday for the Olympics. And so when I say that you have to be 15 or um, 16 or turning 16 year of the Olympics and I would have missed it. So the first year I would have been eligible, I would have been 18, which is kind of past your prime. And it just didn't line up. And, you know, as we know, gymnastics is just really hard on your body. So I quit and I was like, what am I going to do now? I was spending eight hours in the gym every single day, uh, seven days a week when I was, you know, 10 years old and it was my whole life. And so I really wanted to be a professional athlete. And so I sat down with my parents. And I was like, what can I do? Tried tennis. And I was like, this is just a little too much on my body after gymnastics. Like what else? And my dad's like, Hey, like, why don't you try golf? I didn't come from a big golf family, but my dad, he enjoyed it. And so he took me out, hit the first golf ball and I loved it right away. So I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to play golf professionally. And so I was homeschooled because of gymnastics and then kept being homeschooled for golf, did all of the juniors, as you know, like AJG <laughs> traveling around, um, end up getting a full ride, uh, to play golf at San Diego state university and, uh, did that for, you know, obviously four years. <laughs> and then I didn't have a great college experience with golf. I think I was just a little burnt out from junior golf. I mean, people don't realize how intense junior golf is. And it's almost like you are playing full time. It's your job. You need to get the full ride scholarship, especially as something that I needed to do. And so when I got to college, I was like, I'm, this is a lot, like this is a lot of traveling and playing and I'm burnt out. And so I quit, put the clubs away for about two weeks. And then I was like, I really miss it. So I talked to my dad and he was like, okay, how about this? Let's just give it one year we'll try to do whatever we can. You'll play professionally. And I was like, okay. So I was caddying. I was running junior golf clinics, doing everything I could to just have some money to play professionally. And so I did that full year professionally and, um, had some ups and downs, (laughs) got an invite, uh, to play an LAT event in Dubai, which, you know, caused a lot of controversy, but yeah, I mean, my goal when I started all of this was to play professional golf and, you know, I played at a pretty high level and, I was really disappointed when I didn't end up playing on the LPGA tour. And I think that's something that people have a misconception about, you know, I was doing media work to pay for my golf career. And, you know, I didn't go into this thinking like, I want fame and I want followers and I want this. I was like, no, I just want to play golf professionally. And it just didn't work out for me. And so the option was either you feel bad for yourself and you cry about it or you keep moving on and you have to support yourself. And so that's what I decided to do. And that's kind of how the whole media career came about. 
That's a crazy story. I completely relate to the getting burnout thing. Obviously, you know, I played in college and I ended up quitting in college, like with one semester to go. Cause I was like, Oh my God, I cannot do this anymore. Like this is and college golf is like another thing too. Like you're running on someone else's schedule. They're telling you, you know, what to practice, what to do, when to be where it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, like I did this junior golf thing on my own for a while. Like, I think I got it figured out. <laughs> well, not even that, but I think one of the biggest challenges is how much school you're missing. And so you're constantly playing catch up and you're doing assignments on the road. I remember I was playing regionals in Washington and I was up at 3 a.m. in the morning finishing a paper because it was a group project. And four of my other, you know, classmates in the group didn't get me these time on time. So I had to like wake up early, get it done. And because I wasn't there for the presentation, my (laughs) professor was like, nope, you don't get the grade. And so there's like so many challenges like that, because I think a lot of the professors, I don't know if it was the same for you at UNC, but they just didn't value women's golf. And so it's like you have football and basketball and they were getting free passes left and right. But when it came to women's golf, they were like, figure it out. (laughs) this class like figure it out it's on you and there was no help no support we didn't have enough budget to pay for an assistant coach um we (laughs) didn't even have more than like one pair of golf shoes and so when we were playing 36 holes when it's pouring rain it's like we couldn't switch them out and it was a grind it was truly a grind 5 a.m workouts and I don't think people realize how hard it is to play d1 athletics it's difficult, especially when you're not in those top couple sports <laughs> at your school. Like yes. it's, it's difficult for sure. You mentioned, um, kind of a weird relationship with the LPGA tour. And mm-hmm. that's been something that I've really admired you speaking out about because it's tough. Like it's tough. You're a woman and you're a woman in golf and speaking out about something like that is hard. Talk a little bit about it. We don't have to go super deep into it. <laughs> What's been the issue there? And I know there was a little sour taste, like you said, when you got an invite to play in that event in Dubai. Was that kind of the start of it? I think so. So, well, I think it actually started before that, which is how I was building my brand and marketing myself. As you can see, I don't mind being sexy. I love my body and it's just a part of who I am. And even in junior golf, I was always getting in trouble on AJGA because my skirts were too short. You know, it it wasn't something that I was like, I want to make money and this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to over-sexualize myself. I have just always kind of dressed more on the provocative side. And it's just, again, kind of like a part of who I am. And I'm very comfortable with that. And I think a lot of people were upset by that, especially in golf, because it is so conservative. And if you don't even wear a collar, people are like, she's a stripper, you know, she's doing porn. And I'm like, I'm wearing a fucking turtleneck. Like, what are you talking about? So I think the beginning of it rubbed everyone the wrong way. And then to get the sponsor invite on top of it was not great. And when I accepted it, I was like, this is just, you know, an LET event. It's not going to get that much traction and ended up blowing up. And from there, I didn't handle that well at all. I was not prepared for it. I wasn't ready for it. Um, Looking back, I don't know if I should have accepted it. I'm glad that I did because I wouldn't be where I am today with it. But it was just very traumatic and emotionally draining for me being there and having the girls not accept me. There were very few who were, who were nice to me. I mean, no one would even go next to me on the range. They were making comments like, who did she blow to get this invite next to me? Like I could hear them, you know, they were making horrible comments, calling me a slut, like right next to me talking about me. And so I just felt completely outcasted by everyone. And that's not like who I am. I mean, I, I, 
felt like I made a lot of friends throughout, you know, playing junior golf and college golf. I'm like, I know you and you know me, you know, it's not what it is. And I think we know that it's very competitive. It's very competitive. And we're all fighting for, you know, sponsorships and spots. And I understand that and I get it. But I think where people were getting it confused is that when I was getting these deals, I was getting them on the media side. I was not signed as a staff player, an LPGA player. I was signed on the media. So I was doing all of the media work. And that's how I was getting like free clubs and um, endorsement deals. And so again, I think they were getting confused. Like she hasn't earned her way there. Uh, She doesn't deserve it. And yeah, I didn't deserve it. But on the media side, I did because that's what I was doing. And that's where I was most successful. And so once I was done playing and I realized like, this isn't the path for me. I, I don't want to play. I'm not good enough. It doesn't make me happy anymore. It's lonely out there. I don't want to do it. I said, you know, growing the game of golf and women's golf is very important to me. So I went to LPGA tour and I said, Hey, I don't want any sponsor invites. I don't want to play. All I want to do is help you. How can I help you? And they said, we don't want your help. (laughs) We don't want it. And I was like, okay. And a lot of LPJ girls reached out to me privately, sending me very nasty messages saying that I'm a disgrace to women's golf. And ever since they're like, you don't even deserve to talk about women's golf. And I said, okay, I won't. If, if that's how you feel, I won't talk about it and I won't help or be involved at all. And it's very upsetting. I think that it has gotten better um, just being at events with these girls and having them get to know me on more of a personal level and compared to you know, how they see me online. Cause I, I know that I'm very different than the persona that I have built. So I think once they get to know me, then it, it has gone a little bit better, but the first couple of years of doing this, it was very rocky. I can't believe that. Like <laughs> I, I believe you obviously, but I don't want to believe that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That's crazy. And that's, that's disappointing because you would, you would want a, a woman with a following not to take, not to take that and make that like what you are, but you'd want to somebody who has that platform and wants to use it in that way to use it. And for them to say that that's fair. That's really disappointing. Um, thing. I don't even know how to transition. I think it's gotten better. It was definitely frustrating, especially because they were having all of these campaigns about being yourself and loving yourself. And I'm like, Hmm, that just is a little hypocritical of you to say that yet you don't accept me for who I am. And you just kind of outcasted me. And so that was really hard, especially for me, because I'm such a people pleaser and I want everyone to like me. And I was like, what am I doing wrong? But I had to make money. And you know, that's just how I've decided to make money. And there's pros and cons to it. And I've been very open about that. I'm not saying like, hey, young girls out there, if you want to make money, you know, show cleavage. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you can take that route, but there are a lot of consequences to doing so. And if I could have made it on the LPJ tour, that's what I wanted to do but I didn't have that option anymore. So again, I think when people just look at the surface level of like the, the, the brand that I've built, yeah, I can see why they feel that way. And I totally get it, but I do so much more behind the scenes of like working with, you know, anti-bullying organizations and the podcast and talking about female empowerment, working with organizations that are actually really positive. And again, people just don't take the time to actually like research that and see that and like get to know me a little bit more. No, they don't. And that's, that's just the horrible part about social media. And I, it's, it's a blessing and it's a curse. But one thing that I think that's been great that you've done this year. And when did you start working with points bet? Uh, This year, 
Yeah, yeah that's in February. Mm -hmm. Because it's been really, some of the content you've put out has been so cool. What's been your favorite part of working with them? Because you, you guys have put together some awesome stuff. Thank you. Yeah, it's been so much fun to work with points, but uh, I've just only done golf and been in the golf industry. And so that's what I know. And that's my wheelhouse. And I love it. But it's been nice to kind of venture out and do other sports. And we cover everything, everything, because you can bet on everything. And that's what's so cool from like table tennis to water polo to, you know, football, like whatever you want to bet on, you can bet on. And so it's fun to be really creative and to create content that is different than what I've done before and to kind of push myself. And a lot of it has been just like really silly videos. I think that's something that, you know, I know I don't take myself too seriously. And I think that a lot of brands try to create these, you know, amazing campaigns and, you know, they just land, they just fall flat because it just doesn't resonate with people. And so points bet's been really great where they give me full creative control and I can just create silly, stupid content. Like how many hot dogs I can eat in 10 minutes. That was one of the videos that we did, or, you know, when the Olympics were going on, it's like, can I beat the hundred meter record sprints? Or can I, you know, how much can I do for a clean and jerk? And so it's really silly stuff, but it's so much fun and it's so different and being able to like learn more about the betting world and that culture, it's so fascinating and it's so interesting. So it's been awesome working with them. I, I really enjoy it. Well, you guys, like you said, I, I remember the first time I think I really like sat down and watched one was that hundred meter sprint video. And I was like, this, I was, I was never not going to click on that. Like, that was incredible content. And you're right. Like there is, there's a time and a place for like a well-branded campaign with the voiceover and the music and the DSLR camera, da, 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 whatever. But like the, sometimes the best stuff is just organic, like me doing stupid shit. Yes. Like, and that's like, what's, that's what's amazing about yeah. it. Um, but you've, I, I know we talked about this before we got on, but you, we were mentioning this last night that we don't even have our Instagram notifications on and I don't either, but God, I mean, I don't even have a 1% of the followers that you do. So you've got 3 million on Instagram. I didn't even know you had almost 4 million on Facebook, like hundreds of thousands on everywhere else. And I'm sure, I mean, you've got to be the most the, the the person with the most hate in their DMs, maybe on the entire internet. Yeah. In golf space. I in golf for sure. I definitely cornered so that market. What is the weirdest DM you've ever gotten? Let's start there because there's a few points I want to hit on this topic. Okay. So I have a large male audience, obviously. And so I get a ton of dick pics. That is like what my DMs are about. It's like hates or dick pics. It's like one or the other. And so I had this guy who would, you know, on Snapchat where you can like draw and, you know, create little pictures. Yeah. So he would make animals out of his dick. And so it'd be like, it'd be an elephant in the trunk would be the dick or it'd be, you know, a oh snake. And he was so creative. He's like a butterfly one time. And I was like, this is actually fascinating. So I just kept going with it. And I was like, let me see how long he will go for. And so he just did it like every month. A, a new animal. And I finally responded. And I was like, honestly, like, this is great. And he never responded ever again. And I was like, I ruined it. I ruined it. I was like, this is the one good thing in my DMs. And now it's gone forever. The audacity of him to not respond to you after all of that. I know, right? I know. Come on. Come on. <laughs> 
but you got to get, I mean, I know you probably get some really nasty stuff and how do you deal with that? Because it's been, it's been years that you've been at this and it's got to, I know you're, you're very strong, at least on the outside. I know we all have our weaknesses for sure, but there, there is some kind of mental block you have to have, right? Yeah. So when I first started this, it was really hard. It was really hard. I took everything very personally. And I think especially when it was criticism based off of my playing career and my how I was shooting for that day or whatever it may be. And as we know, like golf just messes with you. It's emotionally draining. So on top of that, when people were telling me that I suck and I should give it up, that's when it was the hardest. And it took a couple of years for me to get used to it and not take it so personally. And I think the biggest turning point for me was when I realized they don't know me. They don't know who I am. They just know this persona that I've created. And it is, it's a character, you know, it's an exaggerated version of myself. There's pieces of it. And, you know, I think with like the podcast and YouTube, I am very vulnerable at times. And I I love to do that. But when you look at just my Instagram or, you know, like Facebook, it's very little pieces of me. And so when you can separate and be like, okay, they're not commenting about me as a person, as Paige, they're commenting on this image that they see, this persona, this character, which is Paige Renee. That's not who I am. And so when you can separate them and be like, okay, they're not attacking me. They don't know me. And you realize that's like more hate, the better, you know, it's good for engagement and you need that to grow. You need to be controversial. And so when I realized that I was like, let's go. Like, let's do this. It's fun to see what you can do to almost like get a reaction out of people. And so a lot of my content is very sarcastic. So a lot of the comments are about people just not really understanding it or getting it, or I'll wear something because I know that people are going to comment on it. It's a, it's a game when it comes down to it. And so if you play the game, right, it's fun. And it's not, you know, this personal attack on yourself. That's so funny that you say that because I, I, my boyfriend doesn't have any social media, so he doesn't really get that. And he'll be, he'll say like, well, why did you tweet that? Or like, why would you even say that? And I'm like, it's all a game, Connor. It's all, all a game. game. <laughs> and everyone's playing it. Everyone's playing yeah. it. Everyone on social media is on there for attention. They really are. I mean, no one's on there just to like, what, tweet out a picture of their dog for their like parents. No, like you're doing it to get a reaction out of someone or attention, whatever it may be. And if trolls can do that, I can do it too. You can do it too. Like if you have fun with it, then you don't take it as seriously. And it's like I said, it's a game. It's fun. It is fun once you get used to it. And once you realize that it's, they're not like, it's not a personal attack. No, that's, and that's a really healthy way to look at it because God, I mean, there are so many people who can't look at it that way. And it would be refreshing if they did. You know what I mean? Even even people with a thousand followers get a hate from someone they know mm-hmm. and they're uh, whatever. But how do you deal with all of these, like, uh, what are they called? Like impersonator accounts. I swear to God, Paige, I get followed by one of those and DM'd by them like every week being like, hi. And it's like some other language. Like they like don't really know how to speak English. It's that is by far the most frustrating for me because it's one, it gets, it's actually 
it's scary for me because they, they will communicate with these men for months and steal their money. And then they come to me crying or thinking that I have, you know, scammed them out of this money. So someone has tried to sue me before people will get my phone number. They're calling me, threatening me. And it's, it's actually probably the worst part of all of this. I can get hate all day long. It's fine. But when it crosses that line and it affects like my safety, like that's the problem. And I can't, I don't like that, but it's like, guys, it's 2021. How are you still getting catfished? How? You're right. It's like broken English. You know, it's like, hi, dear. Thank you for fan. And I'm like, yeah, hi, dear. The he, hi, dear kills me every time. And then I'm like, I am so busy. Honestly, I really don't have to, the time to start relationships with like all of these middle-aged men and like around the world. Like that's just not something I'm doing right now. And, and it's still every single day. Hey, is this you? Is this you? It's you. And I'm like, no, it's the verified account. Just like keep looking for it. And still I've done stories. I've talked about it and they still fall for it. They still fall for it every time. It's honestly incredible. Like it, and that's, and that's another thing. How desperate are those, are those people for attention that they would fall for that? Right. I mean, I wish I had that confidence. I wish I had that confidence. Yeah. They were like, yep, she is sliding into my DMs. <laughs> hey, Bill God. from Kentucky, you're like 65. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. Like, and your picture is like the gray avatar man. And you have one picture of a beer on your back porch, like in your Instagram. Like, yeah. I was like, yeah, that is my man. Like, That's that is it. what I want. <laughs> oh my God. Well, we definitely have to talk about the fact you had a hole in one in front of Gary Player this year. Yeah. So yeah. one of the coolest moments of my entire life, I've, I've played with Gary uh, before and he is amazing, just like a ball of energy, but I still get so nervous every single time I have to hit a shot in front of him or play in front of him. And we were having like such a great day. I hit this shot and we're all looking at it and it kind of kicked right. I'm like, it looks kind of, it looks good. It looks good. We're just watching it. And then it goes in and I just freak out probably the most like genuine reaction I've ever had to something and first person I hugged Gary Player and it was funny people were like so is that your first one I was like no like I've, I've had four and Gary was like I've had 25 and I was like always upstaging me can't even have my moment you're like okay I shouldn't have even asked thank you <laughs> yeah. yeah it was it was so much fun so cool um it's the first hole one I've ever seen go in all my other ones were like either you know, like elevated green or there's a bunker in front. So I never saw it go in and I never really got to like celebrate it. So it was fun to see it like go in and there were people there and they were filming it from all different angles. So like to have it on camera was pretty cool. But how many home ones have you had? I've had four as well. My first <sighs> one in high school, I couldn't see. Yeah. Um, my second one was in college or no, my second one was at the US Open actually. So that was pretty cool. My third one was in college. My third and fourth were in college. So. I mean, to make a hole in one at the U.S. Open, how, how can you beat that? Yeah, at pe like, people are always like, oh, it was the coolest thing you've ever done. I'm like, I don't even have to think about it. Like, yeah. that, was, that was the coolest <laughs> thing ever. My dad has either nine or ten, and my mom has never had one. So that's like our, we like to, we like to give a <laughs> shit about that, like, quite frequently. Um, we actually have the, the poor people's PNC tomorrow. We have the parent child for our country club. <laughs> I love that. Tomorrow. Um, so, you know, I haven't hit a ball in a while and they're, they're texting me like every day. Are you going to go to the range? Are you actually going to go to the, no, like, no, 
I'm not doing that. So, so you don't have like a desire to practice anymore. It's so funny. It's like I as soon never as I had stopped a playing. I was a range rat. So I loved practicing and I hated playing. And now it's like completely turned. Like I can't imagine like grinding on a putting green for like hours. I'm like, how did I do that for so long? And I hated it. Let's take a second to talk about the folks over at Encore Golf. Encore has earned a reputation across the golf industry and with golfers everywhere for its combination of value, performance, and customer service. Their team in Buffalo, New York, is flipping the script on golf technology through perimeter-weighted balls made with the high-density particles and proprietary nanotransitional layer offering players enhanced accuracy, control, and distance. Encore recently added the Vero X1 to its suite of award-winning golf balls, one that already included the Golf Digest gold-rated elixir and low compression Avant 55. Through its full suite of golf balls, Encore can help transform any golfer's game. Visit EncoreGolf.com backslash Travis Fulton for more info about Encore and start revolutionizing your game. Now back to the Stripe Show podcast. No, I was never a range person because I would hit like four balls and then like go sit on my phone for five minutes. And if I, if I could do that, then I would be fine. I could do that for a little while. And I, I finally found a coach in high school who would like work with me like that, like knew that I needed, you know, I could hit 20 balls and I would be talking the whole time about like high school drama and then I would sit on my phone, take Snapchats and then go back to hit balls. But like, if you're not working with the right coach who doesn't understand that and he just like wants you to hit, I'm like, this is not, you know, but I'm, I love to play now, but I don't, I hate slow golf. So if if there's any kind of weight, I'm like, I'm out of here. I'm going, I'm going to the car. Like I'm not doing this. And 18 is way too much. I'm just going to put that out there. Like a good, like nine holes is like a perfect for me. Twilight nine. I'll do that. I think they should make it 12 or 14 holes. 18 is just too much. No one has time for that. I would love that. And I, I know there's been some talk about making to 12 holes or like six hole loops or something. I, love I would even say like four hole loops yes. or something like that. I don't know, but 18 holes. And if you think about it, it's gotta be one of the most time consuming sports. And then you have to plan your entire day around it. Like if you were going to yeah. go play like tomorrow, I'm going to play it. We have to play at one. That means I have to be there at like 1130 to play, to get lunch, do the whole lunch and the whole range and the whole whatever thing. And then I'm not going to be done till like six. It's like, that's the whole day. Whole day. I hate it. Afternoon tea times. I hate it. Afternoon tea times are the worst. I would rather it be like, well, we can't cause it's so, it gets so dark so early, but I would rather it be like three. Yeah. And then just let me, <laughs> let me go last and then play speed golf. Like, yes, so, yes. But, uh, whatever. But yeah. So but the, I didn't even realize it was the same weekend as the PNC until somebody commented that on Twitter yesterday. And I was like, oh yeah, it is kind of like the, um, basically, basically Charlie and Tiger, but I have to play two balls because I'm the only child and I have to hope that I hit them the good one at the right time, basically. So yeah, it's, uh, it will be awesome prayers sending your way. Oh God. Um, I want to know the hottest take or the thing that you've gotten the most controversy on, on Twitter alone. Oh, there's a lot. Cause we all know mine is, is the Jordan speed thing. And I'm sticking to that. I kind of support that. Um, dress code is always one for me. Like I, I don't think that guys on tour should have to wear pants. I think they should be able to wear shorts. 
um, girls on tour, their dress code is ridiculous. Like if they want to wear a tank top, like we're athletes, like dress like an athlete. And I know people want to preserve the, the traditions and have it be a gentleman's game, but who cares? Like we're progressing. Like why do they have to wear pants when it's like 110 degrees, hundred uh, percent like humidity like it's crazy they're playing on the east coast in the summer let them wear shorts it doesn't matter it doesn't matter so i get a lot of hate for that one i love hoodies on a golf course that's also a controversial one um, music on the golf course that's been one too that uh, a lot of people don't like um Honestly, you can say pretty much every anything in golf Twitter and it'll be controversial. Like well, anything. especially when you're well, when you're talking to as many people as you are, I'm pretty sure you can say anything. You could say the sky is blue and somebody will be like, Well, when I looked outside my window today, it looked purple. <laughs> like, okay. Oh, I uh, I so I know one. I said, so as you know, when you win the masters, you get to pick the menu for next year. And a lot of people, it, it's known that you base a menu off of where you're from. It, yeah. That's just what they do. And so when Hideki won, I said, Oh, I masters remember men- Masters menu is going to be fire. That was the tweet. I almost got canceled for being racist. So yeah. <laughs> people thought that I was like, you know, stereotyping him and saying, you know, all of these things. I was like, I didn't even like say a Japanese food, nothing. And the people in my comments were being racist to me. And they thought that when I said, oh, it's going to be fire, that it just means like, it's going to be really, really good. And I love Japanese food and it's going to be such an amazing menu. And someone was like, I can't believe you thought Japanese food is spicy. It's not fire. How could you even say that you racist? And I was like, I'm texting my agent. I'm like, I think I'm about to get canceled. <laughs> like, what do I do? Do I issue an apology? Like, how do I handle this? Like, and it's something as like simple as that that can that can cancel you, or people can take it the wrong way, and it could be, you know, taken out of context. And I was freaking out because that was the first time that that has happened to me. Because I'm so careful about what I say and what I tweet and everything that I put out there, and I was like. I can't believe that this is it. Like, this is going to be the thing that, that cancels me. And a lot of people were like, they're being stupid and you're fine. Like it was okay. And it was only a couple people, but I mean, that's a couple too many to be saying that. (laughs) Imagine if that would have been it. Like, and look at what, look at what some people have like truly said that it probably is deserving. And then imagine if that was your thing knowing my luck probably like that that would have been it um but I got out of that one but I think that was probably my most controversial tweet that I have ever had by far it was so like innocent if you know what the word fire means but there are so many people probably in your like insights and your demographic who like have never heard it used it it's probably like if you would have said it would like it's gonna be gas they would have been like what do you mean? Like what? They don't cook with gas in it. Yeah. Like, like, okay. You know what? I give up. Um, (laughs) let's talk about three. I take, I picked three hot topics in golf from this year that I want to just touch on and get your initial thoughts. Obviously we've got tiger is back this weekend. How excited are you to watch him? Obviously with Charlie is a bonus, but this weekend here at the PNC in Orlando, I'm shocked. Honestly, I, after the accident, I didn't think that he was going to play competitive golf ever again. Um, it just looked really 
really bad. And just from how his team was talking and we know that he's notoriously very private. And if they were saying it was that bad and they were being private about it, then it was probably even worse. And, you know, they almost had to like amputate his leg. People were saying like, who knows what actually was happening, but I didn't think he was going to be able to play golf again. It was going to be a miracle that he would be able to be able to walk in the fact that he's playing golf this quickly after the accident is amazing. And now I've completely changed my two and I'm like, he's going to win another major. I mean, he, he's going to, like he has to, he's going to, it's going to be too good of a story for it not to be, but anytime Tiger's in the field, it's good for golf. It's good for us in media. I mean, he's a lightning bolt and everything he touches just is great engagement and it's fun to talk about. It's fun to watch. And especially that he's playing with his son, Charlie. I mean, Charlie's just such a stud and he just has the swag that his dad has and just watching them, you know, the same mannerisms. It's just so much fun. So I couldn't be more excited when the tiger's back and that he's playing with Charlie again. I know it's going to be such an exciting weekend for sure. Um, if you're listening to this on Friday, keep in mind the event is only Saturday, Sunday, because I like got really excited yesterday because it was a normal Thursday and I was like, let's go. And then I was like, Tiger's not even playing today in the pro-am. And then when tomorrow he's playing with Matt Kuchar. Okay. So not really what I expected. So Saturday, Sunday, 36 holes, but he is playing with JT and his dad. So I love that little foursome. Yeah. Um, the Brooks versus Bryson. Uh, I don't even know if you call it a few, do you call it a rivalry? How are your, how do you feel about it? So I was all about it. So I think that, you know, golf is fairly boring and what we talk about every single day is boring. It's like Tony Finau won. And this is, this is McDonald's menu. It's like, are you kidding me? Like that is what we have to talk about. And so when we have something that's a little bit different or a little bit spicy, it's fun. And so I love the back and forth with Brooks and Bryson in the beginning. And, you know, Bryson, love him or hate him, he's fun to talk about and he's good for the game of golf. And so anything he was saying was just, again, great engagement. So that was great. Brooks going back to him and it was fun for a while. And then it started just to get a little bit too much. And I think that if they did the match right after the, um, was it what, what beer did, um, ultra. Yeah. So it's like, if they did the match right after that, I think it would have been absolutely amazing. Perfect. But they already made up at the Ryder cup. They were like hugging. The rivalry was dead. It was over with. And then it just seemed very manufactured because it's like, okay, how do we then get back to where it was before when we already made up? And so I thought it was pretty boring. Um, the back and forths weren't that great. I wanted to be a little bit more. I mean, I think Brooks, if he wanted to, could really unleash but he didn't. And he just kind of kept it like ho-hum, didn't really even talk that much. And I'm over it. I'm honestly over it. Um, I think it's overplayed. Uh, there, It's fake at this point and it's boring. It's boring to me. Yeah, I definitely think it, obviously the match is interesting because it's always that time of year and I don't know how they would have like done it differently. Yeah. I do think the match with the extra holes was where when they started to bet like extra money on like, oh, can I hit another one if I hit the first? I'm like, this is what we wanted. Yeah. Give us this like you're betting an extra hundred thousand out of your own pocket because you don't think Bryson's going to hit the fairway. <laughs> That's what I wanted to watch. Same. Like, like not you like just looking like 
saying nice putt, bro. Like I'm yeah. not out here to watch, watch you compliment each other. Like that's no. not what I'm watching this for. So I'm, I'm totally with you on that. I think it went on for a little bit too long. I think they're like, <laughs> they were like makeup, mean makeup. Me, I was like, this is so like fifth grade girlfriend drama. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was just a little, I wish Bryson leaned into it a little bit more. And that's always been one of my criticisms of him is that he will lean into it and then he'll back off. And I think that's why people tend to not really like him sometimes. If he just leaned into who he is and had more fun with it, I think he would come off a lot more likable. And every time that he does do that, you know, when he, um, at the Ryder cup, drove the green and like hoist his putter in the air, like he does these things that are actually, you know, fun and interesting and different but then he'll say something like oh I I don't I don't want to be a part of this rivalry or I don't I don't agree with that but then he'll say something where he's like trying to I don't know I think if he just fully leaned into it and played more of like a villain he would be so well received I think so too and I mean at this point with the with the Brooks thing like I know he was trying to be reserved in some way during the match but I don't know if that's because he knows people already don't like him but like at this point might as well go for it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. So going back to the, we talked a little bit about dress code. We talked a little bit about music on the course. We, there's been a lot of talk this year about growing the game. I feel like that's what everyone wants to say when they're behind whatever social media campaign they're running. It's like, this is how we're going to grow the game. How do we do that in your eyes? And I'm not talking from the professional golf standpoint. Obviously I agree with you. I don't think that Pros wearing pants have anything to do with their golf scores. If it doesn't have to do with your golf scores, I don't really care what you do. That's kind of been my take. Like as long as you're not using some kind of putter that like automatically magnets the ball into the hole, like I don't really care. Like I don't care if you wear a tank top. I don't, it doesn't affect me. I think people should keep their noses like on their own faces and then everyone else will like be fine. So how do we grow the game for recreational golfers, right? Not everybody has access to the courses that we have access to. Um, and when they do, they're not always as accepted as yeah. they should be. So how do we do that in your mind? I mean, I fully agree with you. I hate when people say let's grow the game because they don't really mean it. They're just saying it because it sounds good. They're not actually taking the steps to grow the game. And I think what's really confusing is when we talk about different rule changes, automatically people go, okay, uh, PJ tour, LPJ tour, professional golf. And that's what we're not, we're not talking about that. We're talking about it at a much lower level, people who are just trying to get into the game and golf is very intimidating. And it's expensive, but it doesn't have to be. So I didn't grow up with a lot of money. And so what I wore on the range was what I had in my closet, which was tank tops and, you know, like workout shorts. That's what I had. And so it's very limiting to expect people to wear a polo and nice clothes, get golf shoes when they're just starting. Who knows if they're going to like it or not? That's really expensive, but you can do it on a budget. So I think having more courses that are a little more laid back. So, you know, we were talking about like having a 12 hole golf course, no dress code, um, having instructors there that are solely there to educate you on the game the rules of the game, you know, the basics of it. Cause I think that we talk about it because it's, it's easiest for us to talk about golf and be like, okay, when we go to any golf course, we know what to do because we've been there before, 
But think about if you're a first time player and you go to the golf course, where do you pull your car? Where do you drop off your clubs? Where do you check in? How do you check in? What do you say? How do you get to the range? There's so many things that are so intimidating. And then you get there and people are so snooty and so terrible. And I think that we have more experience and we understand it as women because it, it it's hard. I don't care. I can be the best person on the golf course, but I still get treated as if I, I know nothing. And it's, it's difficult. And I've been to so many golf courses where I've been there and I'm like, this was a horrible experience, a horrible experience for me. And if this was my first time that I was introduced to the game of golf, I would never come back ever. So I think there needs to be some like sensitivity training or something where it's like some kind of golf course or different golf courses that are accessible. I don't know if it's, you know, two like a two hole golf course or something where people would just come on and start playing maybe in like public parks or there, there are probably things that we need to do where it, or maybe if it's like, if your kid is under 10 years old, they get a free bucket of golf balls or something like that. Some kind of promotions, anything that we can do to like get people into the game and dress code is a huge thing too. I think yes, private golf courses, professional should have a dress code. And if you want to have a dress code, that's fine. Especially a private golf course. You do whatever you want. I don't care. But public golf courses, why does it matter? Really? Why does it matter that you have this much fabric on your collar and that makes you professional? It doesn't matter. So I think it's just kind of like changing the culture and the perspective of golf. And I think that will, that will help, but it starts from up and it moves down and people in charge are not making the changes that they need to make because they don't really care. They don't want to <laughs> they don't really want to grow the game of golf. And I've talked about that too. It's like people don't want more people playing golf because it's already slow. It's already expensive. So more people playing, it's going to be even more slow, even more expensive. And I'm like, it doesn't have to be that way. There are different things that we could do, but we just have to think about it. And we have to think outside of the box, which is something that people in golf don't really like to do. They like no. things to be the exact same all the time tradition and that's the way it needs to be because it works for us and it's going to keep on working and it's like no like we can think of different things we can try different things we can doesn't have to be 18 holes it doesn't have to be the way that we've always imagined golf to be we can change it up we can try new things and if it works great if it doesn't it doesn't but i think more people playing golf is is great for all of us involved yeah, I completely agree. And I think those places that are coming out like Top Golf, like mm-hmm. uh, Drive Shack, those places are doing a great job at getting people who've never hit a golf ball before out into a place where there's drinks, there's music, yeah. there's friends, you can sit down like it's it's an hour, it's two hours, it's not seven, yeah. or, you know, whatever, by the time you get there, you range, you play, you leave. And I think that those places are proving to be pretty especially after the, you know, people got the, the golf bug after COVID, um, those places are popping. I tried yeah. to make a reservation last night or yesterday. The only reservation was at three o'clock in the afternoon. I was like, um, no. <laughs> like, so, I mean, those places are, are killing it, but I, I agree with you. I think there's, there's still some work to be done. I'm, I'm in the process of trying to, obviously we know the whole, um, dress code situation that happened at my country club, but <sighs> I'm trying to work with them on a once a month range night for families. So it's awesome. Whatever that means, you can wear whatever you want. If your kid's coming from the pool across the street, fine. It's like one hour before sun sunset. Who's that going to hurt? 
Yes. And I know I'm going to get, I'm going to get no's from every damn person on that board. But my question is who, why does it like, what's it really hurting? If you <laughs> want to throw the game and you want those members, kids to then become members at this club, to build the legacy of this club. And you don't, and you're not going to let them on the golf course ever because they don't have the appropriate attire and they have like, what make it make sense. You don't know how many stories I've heard of, um, parents bringing their kid out to the golf course for the first time and they're kicked off because they're wearing jeans or like the not appropriate golf attire. And I'm like, that kid is never going to want to play golf again. Why does it matter? It does not matter at all. And it's so funny because when I played at, you know, very high end country clubs, these guys are making a complete mockery of the game and not following the rules, not filling their divots, not fixing their ball marks, driving where they shouldn't be driving on cars. But I'm like, oh, because they're wearing a collar, it's fine. Like, that's fine. It's like, you can respect the game and wear Lululemon. Like, that's totally fine. And it's just so weird how people are so tied into like dress code and how that is such a big part of the game when it really doesn't need to be. Maybe there needs to be like a, like a two minute, quiz like on the first tee box of like how do you replace a divot how do you fix a walmart yeah. and then depending on what you're wearing then you may pass go yeah i, I mean like Can that's what matters like that's like the most yeah. important thing it's like and i don't think a lot of people who play golf know a lot of those rules are like pace of play is super important i never play slow and it's like yeah i'm wearing a tank top like it's just weird how people associate you're like, oh, you're wearing a tank top. You don't know anything about the game of golf. And I'm like, that's so weird. It's so weird. Why is that such a thing? And I, I've always said, like, what's unfortunate is that the people who have those preconceived notions are obviously older. And it's going to be up to us eventually to change those rules. But I think it's going to be a while, unfortunately. Um, so, I mean, it's good that we're having these conversations now, but um, God, I feel like those three topics between Tiger, Brooks and Bryson and growing the game have been like the majority of this year. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about doing like a tweet about it at the end of the year. Cause I, I like to talk about, I like to bring back up my hottest takes because, you know, we got to piss people off somehow. And, um, yeah, I was, I was thinking about retweeting that, that tweet from the country club, just stirring the pot a little bit. Um, but I know I've kept you literally so much longer than I promised. So I'm sorry, but thank you so much for joining us. I so appreciate you taking the time out of God, your busy schedule to talk to us today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I mean, I could talk to you for hours, so love to be back on sometime. Well, we will get to do that because we'll have to come play winter park nine for the PGA show and we'll have to get together next month. So we'll finally get to hang out in person again. And you have to come on my podcast, Playing Around. So I'd love to have you as a guest very soon. I'm in, Paige. Thanks <laughs> so much. And cheers, you guys. Have a great Friday. Thank you. Let's take a second to talk about the folks over at Encore Golf. Encore has earned a reputation across the golf industry and with golfers everywhere for its combination of value, performance, and customer service. Their team in Buffalo, New York 
is flipping the script on golf technology through perimeter-weighted balls made with the high-density particles and proprietary nanotransitional layer offering players enhanced accuracy, control, and distance. Encore recently added the Vero X1 to its suite of award-winning golf balls, one that already included the Golf Digest gold-rated elixir and low compression Avant 55. Through its full suite of golf balls, Encore can help transform any golfer's game. Visit EncoreGolf.com backslash Travis Fulton for more info about Encore and start revolutionizing your game. Now back to the Stripe Show podcast. 